What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Pells and Whistles. I am your host, Rel Myers, and I'm coming to you tonight super excited about this episode. Uh, the Pels just completely blasted the Sacramento Kings. Um, and I've got a special guest tonight, Mr. Jackson Lloyd. Um, he's a Twitter guy that I've been talking to for a little while. So he said that he wanted to talk to a couple of people on their podcast and stuff. So I was like, dude, come on, let's do it. So I'm bringing up Jackson now. You can find him on Twitter at Jackson Lloyd NBA. What's going on, my man? Thank you so much for having me on. It's funny you mentioned my Twitter post because I was thinking like somebody please have me come on and then <laughs> uh, you hit me up. So that was awesome. And I'm glad that the Pelicans are playing so well. It's much better to discuss a winning team than a team that's yeah. kind of going through the grind of the season. Yeah, when you put out that tweet, um, I'm not sure exactly what was going on with the Pelicans at that time. Um, and it was probably, I don't know, maybe a couple weeks ago or so, but then that might have yeah. been around the in-season tournament, which wasn't so hot. But <laughs> um, let's kind of get into this game tonight. The Pelicans won 133 to 100 over the Sacramento Kings. And um, they're playing them five times this season because they got to play them an extra time because of the in-season tournament. But so far, the season series is 4 nothing. Pell's lead. Um, do you think that the Kings are just, are the Pelicans a bad matchup for the Kings? So part of the issue with the Kings matchup or the Pelicans matchup for the Kings, that is, is that they have three guys who I deem to be ball handlers in McCollum, uh, Williamson and Brandon Ingram, where mm -hmm. I think they're just a defense with how aggressive they use Sabonis sometimes that you can capitalize on. Uh, ball screens, dribble penetration, that sort of thing. Um, I don't think they're a team that gets thrown off much by the Kings' pace either. For example, I'm a Timberwolves fan. Uh, that can be a matchup that's a little bit jarring for the Timberwolves where the way they whip the ball around and then Minnesota having um, Gobert and Towns, it's a, it's a lot more difficult for them to defend a lot of those dribble handoffs, a lot of that delay action that the Kings run. So I mm -hmm. think the Pelicans, they're tough for any team because um, – when Zion is playing his game, he's so locked in and he wasn't active tonight, yeah. but great performance by Ingram and Herbert Jones and Dyson Daniels. That was one of the, I'm not trying to be uh, mean, <laughs> but that was one of the games I've seen Fox play probably since his rookie season. They yeah. completely turned the water off on him and it was a route. I just was wondering what was going through Mike's, Mike Brown's mind as he was watching that <laughs> unfold. I, I would imagine he was, um, pretty ticked off with how the way things were going. But I mean, yeah, like Darren Fox, I don't have the box score pulled up in front of me. I think he was one for 10 or something like that. Yeah. He was um, one for 10. Yeah. That was in, in the, what the bucket that he made, I want to say was 10 or so minutes left in the second quarter or something like that. So yeah, just a very, very quiet night for him. And Herb had him um, pretty much under control. And that's what you got to do. If you want to beat them, you can't let Darren Fox get out there running around, <laughs> zipping around the court. Like you got to shut him down make someone else beat you, right? So if the Pelicans were to end up playing the Kings um, in the playoffs, let's say it's like a four versus five seed sort of situation. Um, let's say Sacramento has home court advantage. Are you confident that the Pelicans would be able to steal that series away from them, given what the home court advantage is like there in the playoffs? So over the past two and a half years, save for the one and 12 start two seasons ago, or I think it was one and 12. If I misremember, I'm sorry, yeah, but it was <laughs> uh, when the Pelicans have had relative health, they've played tremendous. And this season, uh, especially when McCollum had the, the like lung injury, mm -hmm. um, seemingly one of 
him, Ingram, or Zion was always missing it. But when they have all three of those guys, I think they're a really difficult team to guard just because of the uh, ability for them to run dribble handoffs, run pick and rolls with multiple players, multiple Mm -hmm. guys that can get to the rim. Uh, Ingram's a great mid-range player. McCollum is a three-level. Well, I would say more two-level with mid-range and the Mm three-point shot, and then Zion is just punishing getting to the rim. But the thing about tonight's game is it wasn't, with Zion at being out, it wasn't about just punishing the Kings at the rim or being more athletic than them and all that. Uh, McCollum just had a great game. They really didn't have an answer for him. And part of my issue with the Kings uh, in a playoff, I don't want to say in a playoff setting, but <laughs> with guys like Kevin Herter and Harrison Barnes, and obviously on Twitter, if you see my tweets, I'm a big fan of Davion Mitchell, but a lot mm-hmm. of the guys they're playing are critically flawed as defenders and guys like Mm. uh, Keon Ellis and Davion Mitchell, they're going back and forth on who's in the rotation, who's out of the rotation Uh, at this state, at this point in time, I don't think the Kings are equipped to um, handle that matchup. I'm not going to say that they wouldn't have a shot against the Pelicans, but I think if I Mm. had to pick today, I would pick the Pelicans to win in seven or six games. Gotcha. I, I saw a good stat tonight about the Pelicans three point shooting. They had a, they had ten different players tonight make a three pointer, and that sets a franchise record for the most players with a three point made in a single game. Now this brings me to Brandon Ingram. There's a, a lot of talk around Brandon Ingram and his three point shooting. Um, as someone who's not necessarily a part of the Pelicans fan base, when you watch Brandon Ingram play, are you thinking to yourself he's got to stop taking so many long twos and take some threes? Like, what do you think about? Brandon Ingram taking just more threes in general every night. So this has always been a constant talking point for various players, whether it's Mm -hmm. Kevin Durant or DeMar DeRozan, and Mm -hmm. everyone has their own stance on it. In my opinion, those are the shots Ingram is good at. To relate Mm -hmm. it back to my Timberwolves fandom, part of the reason why I think the Pelicans have had some success against the Timberwolves is because despite having Rudy and despite having Jaden McDaniels, who's really good on kind of quicker guards, really can bother guys with his length with a player like Ingram more or less he's going to take the same um, shots regardless of who's defending him he loves those baseline turns from 15 to 18 feet and for you're gonna people are always gonna say the mid-range shot is a 45 percent shot blah 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 blah. but Mm -hmm. that's the worst shot the Pelicans get and it's a (laughs) shot that Ingram can hit so that's what's compelling about the Pelicans I feel like um, last I checked preparing for this episode, I don't know if they are going to move up the ranks tonight in offensive rating. I think they're around uh, 18 or 19. Mm-hmm. I think that there's some meat on the bone for them to really move up in terms of offense because with Trey Murphy, the third, being in and out of the lineup and kind of being yeah. on like a pseudo minutes restriction thing, mm-hmm. he gives them another element. I saw, oh, I wish I could remember the number and who posted it, but someone made a, tweet a few weeks ago about the Pelicans in crunch time yeah. are not getting a lot of three-pointers up mm-hmm. with Murphy, assuming he can get back to 85, 90% health. Mm-hmm. He's a player that's really intriguing for them because he can space the floor. He doesn't just stand at the three-point line. He's well beyond it, spacing the floor. And when you got drivers like Zion, like Brandon Ingram, and then a shooter like McCollum, that's yeah. giving them so much space to, um, to just attack the defense. So I don't think it's an issue for Ingram. Everyone has their own stance on that. But to me, he's a guy who's always going to get his shot. And if you want to stop him, put two on the ball. 
he has the size and the vision to make the pass over the top and find open players. I agree with that. I, I, I've gone back and forth a little bit, though, on the whole Brandon Ingram taking threes things. Like, I definitely don't want to see him, like, a foot in front of the three-point line. Like, bro, if you're there, yeah. just take that shot, you know? Just but And back. I understand. Yeah, I understand he's super comfortable with those twos. But, like, the really, really long twos like that, just shoot it. I know you can make it. Just do it, man. Don't, don't think so much about it. And sometimes he'll pump fake, and he'll try to dribble in and go for that, too. And they'll call it travel. And it's like, dude, if you had just shot it, there's a good chance it would have gone in, and now we just turned the ball over. But as of late, he's been playing really, really good ball. And he uh, tonight, I want to say he had eight assists, so he's he was serving up some plates tonight, man. He was he was looking good. But I want to ask you what you think about uh, Willie Green. Tonight was actually uh, he had a chance to hit 100 wins, and he did it. This is his 100th win tonight. Um, Tom Thibodeau, who was coaching the Bulls at the time, he was the fastest to reach 100 wins. He said that back in 2012, and it only took him 130 games to get there. Um, and Avery Johnson set the record in 2006, and it, it took him 131 games to get there. But do you think – and by the way, Willie's record now is 100 and 101, so he's basically at 500 do you think that Willie Green is the guy to like continue taking his team to the next level? Um, or do you think he's uh, lately I've been kind of calling him our Mark Jackson. Like, is he our Mark Jackson before we get to our Steve Kerr, the guy who's going to like ultimately lead us to a, a chip, hopefully what's your stance on, on that? So obviously I'm not as in touch with the team as you are. And other than some perplexing losses this season, by the Pelicans, I've been really impressed with how they're playing. And they've had these past three, four years, whatever you want to call the like David Griffin, Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram yeah. era has been so weird because <laughs> the season they started one and 12, I remember I was firing off a, a series of tweets and it was after <laughs> SVG got fired or let mm -hmm. go or whatever the previous summer. And I was like, yep. this team is not, they're not defending. They don't even look cohesive <laughs> or close at all. And then right around that time, they started playing substantially better. First half of last season, I felt terrible for Pelicans fans because <laughs> it seemed like Zion was week to week. And then it became like, oh, we got to shut him down for a while close to the playoffs. And he never uh, returned and they get eliminated in the play-in. Me personally, that was so bad. <laughs> I, usually, I usually give the coaches the benefit of the doubt when there's a scenario mm -hmm. where one of their key players is just not not able to play, not healthy. Uh, with yeah. Willie Green, I think that if you look at the team, at least in the front court, it's not a traditionally like a, a great defensive front court. Valanciunas is an yeah. all right drop defender and a good rebounder. Zion's really athletic, but I don't think that he's I think he's a really bad defender when it comes to closing out. And mm -hmm. sometimes there's questions of stamina and motor. I'm not gonna get into all of that. Mm -hmm. But their guards are great. And I think that they've built a base level for the, even when the offense is not clicking or someone's injured, yeah, they're always going to defend. And that's a very cl cliche thing to say, but for a team that isn't littered with great defenders in the front court, I think it speaks to um, the culture they've instilled um, their principles with like icing ball screens and keeping ball handlers towards the sideline. I think that they're a really sound mm. defensive team. We, uh, that season, Willie's first season, yeah, it was a one and 12 start, uh, and, and three and 16. And it just, it, it was awful. I want to say we ended the year 36 and 46, ended up getting into the play in, right? Um, we beat, uh, San Antonio at home, had to go on the road and play the Clippers and beat them, but they didn't have Paul George 
or Kawhi, but they didn't have Paul George. He got COVID like the day before or something like that. Oh, so yeah. I, I remember that. He got yeah. sick. <laughs> so looking back on it, it's like, man, that game, that game was so much fun to watch. And we had the the iconic Willie Green. You got a fight speech. And he really fired those guys up. And we went out there and won that game in L.A. Then we move on to the playoffs and we take the number one seed Phoenix Suns to six games. Um, that was an awesome series that we potentially might have been able to win. We might have been able to pull that off. Um, but Chris Paul went nuclear and went like 14 for 14 from the floor. And I think he used up all his superpowers. He has, I think, two of the losses were really close, right? <laughs> they and were, it was yeah, they were. It was, um, they won game one and we won game two. So we, we took one on the road. Um, I want to say we we lost game three and won game four. So we tied it up, went back to Phoenix. They won, came back here. They won game six on, on our court. But um, there are some people who kind of think that the Pelicans beating the Clippers was like a fluke to get into the playoffs, right? Because, I mean, they didn't have Paul George, and that, that played a big part in the things. And I think a lot of people don't remember that happening. And some people think that might have been the worst thing to happen in this tenure because now they feel like Willie's got, like, he's untouchable because he brought us to the playoffs in his first season. But then the next year we lose to OKC and we miss the whole thing. You know, like, it's been a mess. But I think Willie's rotations have been under a lot of fire. He's got Brandon Ingram out there sometimes with no other shooters. B.I.'s getting blitzed on like double teams and stuff. And he's got nobody to get the ball to that'll make a shot. Um, and you got Jordan Hawkins like wilting away on the bench. So it's things like that, that I think, um, I don't know if you've been hearing people kind of criticize him for that sort of thing. I don't know how many other Pelicans Twitter people you talk to, but when you hear people complain about his rotations, does that like, sound like something that you have been questioning? So I've seen criticisms of that, and I can't speak to specifics because I haven't watched every single Pelicans game. But over the past week to a week and a half, I think uh, Jordan Hawkins has played every game since he got recalled from the G League. Mm-hmm. And He's a promising young player, but just the Pelicans roster, it's interesting because a lot of teams they'll have star players who don't don't shoot a ton of threes. Obviously, Ingram only shoots a few a game. Zion yeah. almost never takes them. But then the role players and supporting casts around them can spray. For example, SGA and OKC. They got guys like Isaiah <laughs> Joe. Yeah. And so yeah, so there's a lot of different uh, star players who have a supporting cast that can kind of supplement their driving game with the catch and shoot three stuff. Uh, the Pelicans, though, their roster is its one of the more unique rosters in the league mm-hmm. because I think it has great depth, but it doesn't have uh, traditional players that you would usually see next to most star players. For example, Najee Marshall, he's a solid kind of like combo forward, 3-4 type, but he's more of like a ball handling, grab-and-go, playmaking mm-hmm. type role player. Um, this season, just to me, it feels like Herbert Jones has been much more aggressive attempting three-pointers and. He's around 35% or so, but I think that's going to go a long way. If he can just hang in that 33, 34, 35% and mm-hmm. having that willingness to shoot, I think that'll help a lot. As constructed, I don't think that they're a, they're a team that's always going to have kind of the quote-unquote perfect lineup. Like you look look at some teams in the, in the rotations and the staggering of starters and substitution patterns, it can seem almost perfect when everything is clicking. But I think a lot of people forget uh, rotations is something that every coach 
kind of not struggles with, but gets kind of flack and has to deal with that. Even Michael Malone yeah. with a lot of his all bench lineups or bench heavy lineups drew heavy criticism over yeah. the years. So I think it's something that the only way to satisfy everyone by and large is to, is to do well enough to win a championship. Everybody hates yeah. their coach unless you win the championship. <laughs> Pretty much. And I mean, I like Willie. I like Willie a lot. I don't know if he's going to be the guy long term. I think overall, they've been happy with him. Um, I think I like Stan Van Gundy, too. But I think the, the players just did not care for him at all. And yeah, I, I think was... there was that article in The Athletic or something that basically uh -huh. said he wasn't getting through to B.I. and a bunch of players, right? Yeah, I mean, Josh Hart said that he wasn't even sure if he enjoyed basketball anymore. Like, he just didn't even want to oh play Oh, my anymore. gosh. Yeah, and I mean, I come on. I, I think that's Hart. been a thing with SVG, though. I think that he's always been kind of a, like, a stickler, yeah. screaming-type coach. For sure. And, I mean, it, it sucks that that year, I mean, the B.I. and Zion didn't have a great supporting cast around them that year. Um, I think they won, like, 33 games, and that was a shorter season where they ended up only playing 72. Um, but... That was the year that Zion and Brandon Ingram both played 60 games. So it's like, it's a shame that Stan Van Gundy is the one who got the 60 games out of them. But, you know, who's to say that can't happen this season? Um, so far, Zion, uh, he's played 30 games. Last year, he played 29. B.I. has played the majority of the games this season. I think he's missed maybe three or four. Um, that's it so far this season. Uh, yeah, it's three. So just because I'm on the topic of guys missing games, I want to <laughs> run these numbers by you really quick. The games missed by the Pelicans, big three, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and CJ McCollum. B.I.'s missed three. Zion has missed seven. Only two of them were for injury, though. There was a couple for back-to-backs and, you know, personal reasons and stuff. And then CJ McCollum has missed 13 games. Um, but the rest of the roster, Trey Murphy's missed 23. Jose's missed 15. Najee, nine. Herb missed three. Uh, Larry Nance missed 17. Cody Zeller missed two. And Matt Ryan, 24 games and counting. So that's a total of 116 games missed by these guys. And still, they're at 22 and 15 through 37 games. So <laughs> I would say just imagine um, when you get a guy like Matt Ryan back, are we getting him in the in Willie's rotation? Who knows? Because Matt Ryan shoots so well, but you got guys like um, like Jordan Hawkins who also needs minutes, but he's not getting minutes. And Jose Alvarado and Najee Marshall are doing so well, you can't necessarily take their minutes. So it's like we have too many guys who need minutes. So do you kind of see a situation where the Pelicans would be making some sort of like consolidation trade this season to try to get some guys out that they can't necessarily pay? Like I think Najee's uh he's expiring, Jonas is expiring, which I would love to keep him, but I think he might be on the move. What do you think about that? So I always tell people I'm not a CBA or trade expert. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's people much more well-versed in that than me. Yeah. Uh, the boring answer, and it's kind of a gift and a curse, is I feel like these things always sort themselves out with someone yeah. else getting injured or playing poorly. Oh, man, so yeah. That's the most likely outcome. Um, <laughs> as for a consolidation trade, I think it'll depend Um on the health of guys like Larry Nance Jr., will they need to add another big? Mm -hmm. uh, what's the state of – how are the starters playing? Can they get Trey Murphy back up to a 28-, 30-minute-a-game guy? Yeah. Maybe not starting games, but at least finishing the majority of them. Yeah. So 
Sorry to disappoint. I don't have a great kind of theory on what the Pelicans should do exactly with me. I think right now, a lot of the injuries, especially for McCollum, they're so random. And I think that they just need a a sustained stretch playing together. And realistically, this team can get a top four seed in the Western Conference. And as long as you're in the top six, a Mm -hmm. a big thing for these teams, I think, is avoiding the play-in. Avoid the play-in. Hopefully get top four to get home court but then it's going to come down to matchups. There's going to be one or two teams that are just devastated. They lost in the first round and it's not going to mean that they're a bad team or that they're chokers or anything. It's going to mean that they played a team that's damn near even. And then they um, were just a a worse matchup for them. Yeah. The standings, um, there's not much room for, for error. I think we moved back up into the sixth seed after this win tonight, but you know, there's some other games that have got to play out that might, impact that i think dallas is playing tonight and if they win we'll probably end up back at seven swap places with them and that sort of thing but yeah there's just not much room for error at all and for us to be 22 and 15 which you know isn't the greatest record but for that to only be good enough to get you in sixth place that's telling me that what what i'm afraid of is a scenario that was kind of like um in 2018 on the last day of the season the third through like six seeds were like all tied. I think Portland moved ahead. That's how we ended up playing Portland in the playoffs. Now we, we swept them. Thank goodness. <laughs> the sixth seed swept the third seed, but that was crazy and, and stressful. And I cannot imagine going through that again this year, but I feel like that's, what's going to end up happening. It's going to come down to last couple games of the season. Some teams are going to be still trying to fight to get into the play in. Some guys are going to be trying to fight to stay out of, you know, seventh through 10th. Um, yeah, hopefully the Pelicans, that's my goal for the Pelicans. Get top six. Um, I would love to be top four, get home court advantage. But like, I think anything less than getting top six will be a failure. Like we can't keep messing around with the play in. Like we have to show some improvement. And last year really, really, really hurt just missing the playoffs because of that play in loss to OKC. And it seems like OKC has leaped us. And that's another thing that hurts. But I mean, they, they got a pretty good team over there. Definitely. Uh, earlier in the show, I like the point you made about how people were saying the Pelicans uh, playoff run in 2022 was fluky. And then mm-hmm. last season they missed the play. And and that's exactly why you want to avoid the play in because <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen. Uh, you right. Three people on your team could get the flu. You could <sighs> be missing. For example, the Pelicans didn't have their best player. Or, mm-hmm. I don't know. Some people debate who the best player is. Yeah, Irregardless of that. Um, you don't want to, you don't want to play games with that because in a one-off scenario, I guess technically if you're seven or eight, you get two chances, but yeah, top six, that's a great goal. I think that if they stay relatively healthy, like any team, make a move on the margins and Mm -hmm. you know, why can't they be top four? Yeah, I feel that. Are you, are you? aware of how bad the pelicans play like historically on national tv like are you aware that they just are very bad on national tv are they really they... i didn't know that i i remember for zion's rookie year they scheduled all the games on national tv and then so he got many. injured yeah and then when he came back in the bubble they just got dominated yeah we um it's something about being on national TV, man. Once, once the it's like the lights are brighter. We know more people are watching. <laughs> we get nervous, and it's it's just and it's it's crazy because you know a, a lot of Pelicans fans are Saints fans. The Saints weren't doing so hot this season, and they're like, you know, Pelicans got the chance to take over the city. 
you know, people are people are willing to pay more attention now because they don't care about football. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't think they need any more extra attention on them right now. Like, put your head down, get to work. But I bring that up because Wednesday night we play the Warriors on ABC. And then on Friday we go into Denver and we play them, I believe, on ESPN. And then to finish out this road trip, um, the last two games aren't on national TV, but it's two road games in Dallas, one on Saturday and one on Martin Luther King Day. So um, over, so tonight was the first of five games on the road. Do you think that this game on Wednesday night against the Warriors, they're not going to have Chris Paul, they're not going to have Draymond Green, he's not back yet. Um, I think we should have Zion back. Do you see the Pelicans going into the Chase Center and kind of taking over? Not necessarily getting a 50-point win or anything like that, but do you see the Pelicans really taking care of business against a, uh, a Warriors team that's missing a lot of firepower? Yeah, wow. This next four-game stretch for the Pelicans is going to be pivotal for mm. seeding. This could be a stretch in 8 to 12 weeks or whatever where we look back on and we see, oh, my gosh, this was mm -hmm. the difference between being fourth and ninth. Yep. Yep. And uh, to answer your question, I do think that it's tough because sometimes the Warriors play so well at home. Last season, they had the ridiculous splits. But right now, I was pretty high on the Warriors coming into the season. Mm -hmm. I don't really like how they're playing. I think that they need Draymond Green to be mm -hmm. anywhere near a great defensive team. I think that while Chris Paul made them a smaller team, they played really well and he was on the court. And I think yeah. that, I don't know, this is one of those games that's 50-50, but I do think the Pelicans are going to play well. I do think they're better than the Warriors. It'll just come down to how every game in the NBA is decided by six to ten points now, whoever's hitting shots, whoever yeah. is missing one or two rotation players. Um, but this next upcoming stretch, this was a big win against the Kings. Sure. Then they have that back-to-back -back with Denver and Dallas. If they could just find a way to split one of those, that would be yes. massive. I agree. <laughs> I agree. They um between these next four games, I'm looking for they they got. I feel like they got to beat the Warriors. I'll understand if they lose to Denver, um, even though we have we beat Denver earlier in the season. Um, and we've so far we split with Dallas. Dallas like really took it to us. And we ended up having like they ended up having a team meeting. Larry Nance and CJ McCollum like organized a team meeting, which they've done really good since. And I think the only real bad blunder that they've had since then was the big loss to the Lakers and then the loss to the Clippers this past Friday night, where our shots just weren't falling and the Clippers were making everything. So they look great healthy. But um totally lost my train of thought where I was going with that. But um, yeah, these these next few games. I, yeah, I can understand if we lose to Denver with Dallas. I can understand if we end up losing that first game against him. It's the second night of a back-to-back -back flying in from Denver at God knows what time of night. You know, you're losing an hour on the on the time zones and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm actually going to be in attendance at both of those games in Dallas. So, um, well, that's I think, awesome. Yeah, I think Saturday I'll just probably have a couple cocktails and hang out. But then on Monday, <laughs> I'm looking for a win, you know? <laughs> But, um, yeah, I think the Pels, let's see, they're at sixth, I believe I said, after the end of that game. And then there's some other games going on. Um, right now, Dallas is a half a game behind them. And who's Dallas playing tonight? Do you happen to know? Uh, they're playing the Timberwolves. It was close last I checked. Oh, they won. They won. Dallas won. Okay. So, 
there's that <laughs> dang it right <laughs> there's that but uh they're still they're tied with sacramento uh four and a half games behind and then the clippers are three games behind but uh clippers and lakers tonight who you uh who do you have for that game probably clippers huh <laughs> yeah clippers the lakers offense is they got a really good size and they defend well mm-hmm. but they haven't been quite the same beast since they went on that run in the ist games Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just without D'Angelo Russell, I know he's a hot button topic for people. When he was out the past couple games, I think he's mm-hmm. returning tonight. But without him, it's really just LeBron and Reeves as guys who handle the ball, and then it's a bunch of shooters that a lot of teams can just live with firing away. Yeah. And uh, for a team with solid depth or decent depth, but not great depth, I think you really feel the absence of a D'Lo or a Gabe Vincent or when um, I don't think Jared Vanderbilt has been great this season, but when he was injured for the early portion of the year, I think you just, when you need guys to be who you want to be any, any additional absence or loss of a body is just, it's just tough. Yeah. What are, um, I know we just played the Timberwolves and I was looking at their injury report and things like that. Um, Are they missing anyone else right now? Are they missing anybody? Uh, they've been pretty healthy this year. Uh, there was a game where Cat hurt his knee. I mm-hmm. think he only missed one or two games in total. He was kind of shaken up for a few games, wasn't quite himself. And then Ant had the hip injury. But yeah. other than uh, early in the season when McDaniels was nursing the calf, yeah, the Timberwolves have been really healthy. Um, yeah, I actually think the Pelicans are a tough matchup for the Timberwolves because they can get a lot of shots at the rim and Mm-hmm. Uh, while Gobert's a great defender, when you have Zion coming at you relentlessly all game, that can be really tough to stop. And I think that's yeah. part of the reason why they've beaten the Timberwolves twice already this season. Yeah, I um, they actually let's see, do we even? Yeah, we even the series. I think we're done playing each other. Um, I think they evened it up. I could be wrong. I don't know why I cannot remember this at all right now. I know we lost a game to them by like 20 or something. Then we lost another one. We had a chance uh, at the buzzer to like win or tie it up or something. And we lost that game. But then we went and won that game the other night. I think we're done. I think we're 2-2, but. Yeah, 2-2. For some reason, I remembered 2-1. and one. I misremembered yeah. that. Oops. I tweeted it the other day wrong and people were like, rah, rah, rah. And I'm like, dude, look, I, I said it right <laughs> in the video. I just tweeted it wrong. Like, I'm just sue me, okay? So, um, <laughs> yeah, I've never been a super big fan of, of Rudy Gobert, and I enjoy watching Zion Williamson play against him, even when he was in Utah. But uh, that game last year that Zion had against the Wolves where I want to say he scored the last, like, 14 consecutive points. He had, like, 40-something points that night. That was insane to watch that type of performance from him. Yeah, during the uh, the game the other day against the Pelicans, the Timberwolves color commentator Jim Peterson was saying he was talking to Antonio Daniels, yeah, um, asking about why Zion always plays so well against the Timberwolves, <laughs> and he was saying that he thinks he thinks Zion is excited and gets up for facing a premier rim protector like Rudy, <laughs> and that just kind of taps into him unleashing his. He's such a strong left-handed driver and finisher, yeah. and he gets his own rebounds so much. It's it's crazy. 
Well, I think once upon a time before the uh, the Rudy Gobert trade went down, and Edwards said that Rudy Gobert didn't put any fear in his heart, and I feel like that's how a lot of people feel, man. Like, yeah, a lot of I think he said, scared. I think he said Porzingis was the best rim protector, and he basically said Rudy wasn't <laughs> wow. all that. Yeah, that's that was crazy. Funny. I didn't remember Ant's the rest. Ant's of that a quote. different kind of guy. Yeah, <laughs> he is hilarious to watch him uh, do interviews and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I think that's that's pretty much all we needed to touch on today. I don't want to take too much of your uh, or your time up, but at the end of the episode, I always do like a little ten game breakdown. So I'll just go ahead and do this and ask if you think the Pelicans are trending in the right direction, right? So through 37 games, we're 22 and 15. Through games 1 through 10, we went 4 and 6. Games 11 through 20, we went 7 and 3. Games 21 through 30, we went 6 and 4. And then games 31 through 37 tonight, we're 5 and 2. So what I look for is for us, every set of 10 games, go 500 or better, right? So do you think that that's kind of like a good way to judge progress throughout the season? I do. I think that a lot of people and coaches, they look at obviously game by game, but I think that when you want to evaluate a team, you need to look at it in 10, 15, 20 game increments because yeah, whether it be injuries or players emerging or falling back in the rotation, you're going to be a completely different team game one versus game 82. And a lot of times you can't get, you can't fixate on a stretch or a week where you go, one and three or one and two because every single week you're playing three or four games it's a it's a 82 game i like to say it's a marathon but it's also an yeah. 82 game sprint and yeah looking at the Pelicans' schedule this is probably one of the more crucial pockets of their season yes. with these western conference opponents and then right after the charlotte game you get phoenix mm-hmm. utah is playing better okc oh, game man. could be huge and then you got bucks celtics rockets yeah uh, this is I haven't looked at the tankathon strength of schedule stuff in a while, <laughs> yeah. but I would assume that once they get through this kind of range in the schedule leading up to the all-star break, they'll have mm-hmm. some much easier opponents. And if they can just keep playing, you know, six of 10, if you yeah. have a couple slip ups or these inexplic- inexplicable losses, we've t- touched on a little bit, you know, maybe mm-hmm. you go five and five in a 10 game stretch, but you really just want to avoid kind of the two and eight stretches, the three and seven stretches. For sure. I mean, we got a five-game losing streak out of the way earlier this season, so hopefully we don't see too much of that. But yeah, again, it's it's understandable if you lose one, if you lose a couple straight, whatever have you. But yeah, we can't have any more like five-game skids and things because we'll just completely slide down the uh, the standings. But um, again, to find you on Twitter at Jackson Lloyd NBA. Is there any other um like social media? Do you have like a YouTube channel that people should check out? Anything like that? I'm working on getting my YouTube going, but right now I just have a bunch of like eight second clips posted, but eventually I'll get one out there. But for now you can just follow me on Twitter. For sure. That's the place where all my people are at. So I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me tonight. Um, guys, if you made it this far into the episode, I appreciate you listening. Thanks for listening to another episode of Pels and Whistles. I've been your host, Ralph Myers, along with my guest, Jackson Lloyd. I will see you super soon. Take care. <laughs>